and welcome once again to another edition of the Lore Entertainment Podcast. I am Andrew Southwick. With me once again is Jason Farley, Lore Executive. Man, it's great to see you again, Jason. How you doing? Good to be here. Yeah. Oh, you know, having a good time, rolling right along with life and <laughs> just trying to not fall, just trying to keep the marbles on the track. I guess so, man. Always a daily battle. Uh, how's, how's things on the lore executive end? Like maybe give us a little update on some of the, maybe the, the business stuff and how lore is growing from, from your inside baseball perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now, what we're doing is putting all of our effort into uh, finding another investor that gets the vision and understands uh, what we're doing. And so that we can uh, do marketing and and blow up our marketing and uh, then just trying to find out, find the people that are looking for the content that we've got. You know, it's always an interesting um, thing when you finally get launched and you show people your content and they say, oh, wow, you guys have really great stuff and say, okay, yeah, let's tell your, tell your friends and let's grow this thing. And so that's where we're at right now is the let's grow this thing. And, and some people understand that uh, it, it, that it takes a a village to get something marketed these days. Mm -hmm. And uh, some people don't, but, but but that's what we're trying to to do is um, grow the audience so that we can grow the budgets for, um, the filmmakers. Yeah. It's interesting. The marketing, when you spend money on marketing, it's, it's really difficult to know what marketing works. I mean, there's little things you can do, but ultimately you're kind of, you're not really guessing necessarily, but you don't know which, which piece of marketing was most effective. And I just learned an interesting, an interesting statistic. I don't know if you know this or not, but it used to be that in marketing and promotion, you needed to hit somebody seven times, before they really started to connect with you. And this was prior to social media and, and things like that. And you would think that with social media, it's a more direct link. Uh, there, Therefore, you would need fewer connections or fewer hit times because you can get to people directly. But actually, it's multiplied it. And now it's you got to touch somebody 27 times <laughs> oh, through, different, wow. through all these different means because everything is so customizable. And there are 8 zillion different social platforms and not all of, you know, there's the behemoths like Facebook and everything, but there's, it's, it's just a, it's a Herculean task. What, what you are trying to do, what do you think is right now? What's an obstacle you're facing that is, is new in this journey? Um, well, I think there's two, one of them is, uh, getting people to invite their friends, um, and we're trying to figure out how um, how to shift the uh, marketing um, such that people are excited to jump in and be involved, invite their friends, because a, a big a big powerful part of the platform is the invite system so if you invite somebody then you get bonus loot they get bonus loot that's more loot into the system uh, and it is but it also grows the overall uh, weekly loot in the system. And so that's really the power where the power is uh, and helping people see and understand that and be excited about that. Um, you, I know like every app video game tells you, Oh, invite your friends. And half the time I'm embarrassed to admit that I'm playing golf battle as much as I am or whatever, you know, so I don't want to invite <laughs> my friends, but with lore, 
it's not the same sort of thing because um, you're inviting them to a, a streaming platform um, that is that they get to help build. And because of that, um, you know, I just my neighbor just across the street, just in the neighborhood, uh, just uh, waved, waved me down and said, hey, thanks so much for inviting me to this. This is yeah. this is really cool. Um, I'm excited about what you guys are doing. And and it wasn't uh, so it, it wasn't a, a burden to invite him because I'm not trying to just get extra lives for uh, candy crush yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get movies made and build up build up an inheritance for the people that are coming after so yeah I, I think that's a big part of what we're trying to do is help people see that the invite system is actually a blessing to your neighbor um and uh that, that it it helps the filmmaker significantly so um but we've you know we've had the uh the you know barely biblical added uh, mm-hmm. uh, got a new theme song um, with this great Japanese heavy metal Christian band, that was really exciting. Uh, I, and you know the the, uh, the the that band hired a new drummer, and that drummer just got saved, and they got to baptize the drummer. And you know, so yeah. and uh, and now it feels like we get to we were a part of this this too because they're here they're here a part of barely biblical part of the lore family, and they're out getting people saved. And you know, so there's all sorts of exciting things that it's fun to be a part of uh, this kind of community. And so people are really blessed to be a part of it. And, you know, it's just great Japanese heavy metal. <laughs> I, I don't know that I've ever heard Japanese heavy metal in this much the same oh, way that I, ha- that I haven't heard. So I, I, I played with a drummer in, uh, in my touring days and he was really big into metal and all different kinds of strange and obscure metal. And I'm not yeah. kidding. He, he described to me once a, like a Norwegian plaid lager metal. And I'm like, how, <laughs> yeah. how niche do you have to get to notice that kind of difference? So, I mean, there's a lot of metal that, I, that I'm ignorant yeah. to because it is my cup of tea, yeah. but that is unique and interesting. And, and uh, I did read about the, the drummer uh, being saved. So that that's fantastic as well, but man, yeah, metal is an interesting genre, but I guess so yeah. are all genres. Anyway. Yeah. Um, they are. And you know, they connect with different people and Japanese, uh, heavy metal is very passionate, you know, where it's like German heavy metal is very math oriented and, you know, very much engineering metal. And and so it's fun to see different people groups that God made (laughs) getting hold of the things. I get that music is math. I mean, I'm a musician by trade. My craft is music. So I get that there is math in music. I I get that. I'm not a math person. I think Satan invented math, but anyway, (laughs) What I, I've never heard of math metal. How is? Oh yeah. Are they? Are they? Are they like singing about the Pythagorean theorem or something? Like no, I, no. You got to educate it'll be me like, on this real quick. So the so it'll be like you know the song the the song is in seven eight um, mm-hmm. for the verses and five eight for the chorus. You know that sort of okay. thing. And so so instead of thinking in terms of um, how does this how how does this song fit for people to dance to which is why you use three four and four four because all the Mm -hmm. dances were either in three four or four four they they say would it would be cool to have a song in nine eight you know it would be neat to have a song in in eleven four yeah Yeah. and so so they um and uh and you know the folks that are really good at it um it it can be really interesting but it's very mental in, it's not you it's because your body doesn't really like bump to five it's, eight so 
it's it's mental all right jason you're you're cool yeah. you're- <laughs> whereas japanese metal <laughs> is uh very um is 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 very passionate uh i like japanese metal a lot <laughs> right on okay that's fair that's fair all i'm gonna say is this it sounds a little bit like jazz and because you got you know, all the crazy time signatures and wacky yep. stuff yeah. and lots of lots of things i saw a main once it was fantastic and it said, it said, this is the difference between jazz musicians and rock musicians. Rock musicians play three chords to 3,000 people. Jazz musicians play 3,000 chords to three people. <laughs> yeah. End of discussion. Yeah. So, that's, but that's, that's hey, fair. For those three people, I, I salute you. Anyway. <laughs> all right. All right. Enough nonsense. Okay. Let's get to a uh, uh, little piece of news here. I thought was interesting. Jason, have you seen Shazam two? I just saw it recently with my kids. I haven't seen it, but my kids went to see it when it came out. And so I heard all about their response when they got home. What, what did your kids think of it? Um, they said, the, uh, they said that they really liked the special effects and that the the characters were fun, but the plot um, had too many twists and turns. And so it never felt like uh, a, the story quite held together. But they weren't. It also was, you know, they, they didn't feel like it was money that wasn't well spent. And when they went in the theaters, because it, it was big and explosive and those things were fun. All right. So I lost you there for a second, but if I gather what you said was they liked the special effects, they thought the story was weak, but it was still a good time and, and worth the experience. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. I, my, so my kids thought it was better than the first one. They liked it a lot more. Um, not, I mean, I like, I always like origin stories. So usually the first yeah. ones for these are usually my favorite. I did think they took the Shazam character a little bit away from what the grounding that he was in the first and that kind of made, made it suffer a little bit, but I enjoyed it. It was a good regular superhero movie that I think got lost in the swamp of all the, you know, the woke backlash from, from Marvel and, and then the news that everything is being rebooted. Now, Zachary Levi plays the lead character in Shazam. And I want to, I want to bring this, uh, this story to you, get your take on this here. Let me open this up. Uh, there we go. Oh, good. And we've got a pop-up. Perfect. Okay. Zachary <laughs> Levi breaks out. Now, now back earlier this year, in I want to say in March, Zachary Levi was ticked off that the initial reviews for, for Shazam 2 were so negative. So this is a follow-up from Screen Rant. And Zachary Levi breaks silence on negative Shazam 2 reviews after $133 million flop. It's amazing that we're to a point where hundreds of millions of dollars can still be considered a flop. I mean, I feel like if, if we could do that kind of business on lore, we're, we're holding a parade, right. you know, like I mean, right, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're going to petition for a national day of honor. You know, I mean that anyway, um, let's see. So uh, basic summary, um, Fury of the Gods got negative reviews underperformed at the box office, which I don't even know what that means anymore because the box office has changed. So what does it mean to underperform compared to pre COVID? I don't think you can compare But anyway. Yeah. Uh, criticism Zachary Levi believes is a good film. Let me get to uh, the uh, the piece. Zachary Levi uh, talking about the negative reviews that only got $133 million. And part of the box office problems was what with the DC movie being one of the first of the year to underperform, it didn't even reach the original $367 million 
Beyond its box office issues, it continued to get negative reviews. And then he says, I don't know, this is Zachary Levi, I don't know what the the future holds for it all because unfortunately, the second movie was not well received. The audience score is still good, but the critic score was oddly and perplexingly low and people were insanely unkind. I've been a part of things and as much as I wish they were good, I know they were okay. And I know that they miss a lot of times. Uh, I'm not saying Shazam fear of the gods is a perfect Orson Welles like masterpiece, but it's a darn good movie. And effectively I have no idea where we'll go from here. The article offers a few reasons why it might've had such a low rotten tomato score. It's one of the final movies in the DCEU with the franchise reboot coming up. And then the silly nature of the original did continue in part two but didn't really set itself apart from from the uh, first movie, excuse me, not part two, but part one, didn't set itself apart enough, and so most critics saw it as a step backwards or a, uh, in other words, a lateral move. Uh, from what your daughters were telling you about this, uh, about the show, what do you think is the, let me get this out of here, what do you think is the reason why Shazam may, might have petered out at the box office and, and, does Zachary Levi have a point? Hey, it's a good movie, but it's just getting lost in some of the mess. I I think, well, there's a couple of things. I think some of those Marvel movies set a really high standard for uh, focused storytelling and not every single Marvel movie did, but some of them really did. Um, Captain America, Civil War, uh, the, um, the f- first, um, the, Oh, the, the first guardians of the galaxy, uh, you, you've, and then, um, the last couple of movies in that franchise, mm-hmm. they set such a high standard for focused storytelling that, um, now focused storytelling is seen as part of the best things that when, when, a when you've got a great superhero movie, it's because of the focused storytelling mm-hmm. right? that that's what's now sets them apart. Uh, it used to be that you good jokes and some great gags and stunts and uh, a, a couple of good fight scenes made a great superhero movie. Um, but unfortunately that, that genre has been elevated now beyond um, you, what used you know, beyond just sort of the comic book movie to some yeah. really great uh, scripts and screenplays in terms of focus in particular. So I think now, you know, if you don't get a, if you don't have focus in your super superhero movie, um, you know, DC used to make up for its um, lack of humor with earnestness. Shazam doesn't get that either. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wonder woman was so earnest that it made yeah. up for the lack of jokes and, you know, all of that. Uh, and, and it gave a different feel or DC always had that earnest emotional feel to it. Well, Shazam doesn't get that either. So I think that it just, it ended up getting caught in the middle. Um, And you know, that it was right in the, it was right when the DC universe was in so much turmoil too. So it probably didn't Mm -hmm. get the marketing that the other ones did. So I have a theory, and this is a theory, just from some of the other Hollywood reporting that has come out about Shazam 2, particularly at the time, and then with Black Adam, which was a complete mm-hmm. face plant, and I was really looking forward to that. I liked Dwayne Johnson. I liked The Rock, but that was terrible. But reports came out that he actually sabotaged Shazam 2 because the original idea was 
for him to be the villain in Shazam 2, and he didn't want that. He wanted Black Adam to face off Superman, so he decided to rewrite DCEU lore and canon uh, in order to, I guess, give him a better platform for Black Adam. Now, if that, if those reports have any shred of truth or accuracy to them, if you're writing a film and you're set up for Shazam versus Black Adam, which is the canon in the comics, and then yeah. all of a sudden he says, no, we're not going to do that. Now you've got to rewrite this movie that's already coming out. I don't see how that is going to meet or exceed any expectation when it gets submarine like that. What say you? Uh, yeah, the, one of the largest, one of the most difficult things about Hollywood is that if you, um, unless you can fund your own film, you would don't have any say over the final script. Um, <clears throat> everybody that has money gets to uh, get, gets to adjust the script when they put their money in. And so <clears throat> there's very few movies that make it out unscathed um, unless you've got somebody who just funds their own movie. Like the passion of the Christ was funded by Mel Gibson. And so um, there was one person that had say over the script uh, it, cause there's only one person putting the money in that, is that lack of freedom in Hollywood is one of the things that makes so many movies at the end of the day feel um, feel disjointed. It's because somebody with money came along and said, hey, this is what's important to me. Here's the money. It comes with this string. And so by the end of it, you've got a bunch of different strings because it costs a lot of money to make a movie. So a bunch of different people put money in a bunch of different strings end up attached to the script and are pulling it all in different directions. And so, um, you know, you now it's become really common that actors get a producer credit a producer mm -hmm. role um, because their name is considered to be bringing in the money as well. And so that means that's one more string attached to the story to pull it in a different direction. Uh, and so you, you, it's really hard to stay focused when you've got strings pulling a bunch of different directions on a, a script uh, on a story. And um, w that's because the Hollywood system has is, is, um, is currently uh, overrun by people with lots of different uh, uses for for Hollywood <laughs> besides just telling a great story, right? That's the, yeah, yeah. The, 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 a movie's primary goal is tell a great story. But what happens is all, uh, people come in and they have uses for the great story and they want to turn it into propaganda. And mm -hmm. so they, they bring their money in and they attach money to it. Uh, they attach a string to the story uh, using their money so that it can be useful for whatever it is that they want it to be useful for. Uh, most isn't, filmmakers want to just make a great movie. And, and, and isn't that just, isn't that just more reason why lore is so necessary and needed because yep. you don't have those strings. Imagine how many movies that have sucked that probably didn't suck when they, when they were written and when they were pitched and halfway through production until the suits come down and say, hey, we need aliens at the end of this movie. And all of a sudden we get Kingdom <laughs> of the Crystal Skull. And we're like, what? Right. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, that, but I mean, but, I mean, literally you're describing part of why lore exists and part of how lore is going to be a solution for some of the storytelling going forward. Right. Yeah. Because the, the number of stories I've heard or been, uh, you know, there and you, 
you have a producer say, well, does it need these references to God? <laughs> does it need this religious part? Right. And um, because they have lived a life or are trying to live a life completely separated from religion. I always find it fascinating to watch these high school movies and there's not a single Christian. It's like, yeah. That's not a normal, that's not a real high school. That's an imaginary <laughs> high school, right? Yeah. Um, because the, the, the uh, number of Christians that are out there, uh, you know, that every high school is, has a bunch of them in there, but you can somehow write a high school movie and there's never a Christian in it. This just doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> that's why, you know, freaks and geeks, at least e even though the, the Christian girl was kind of annoying, at least she was there and she was trying to get people to go to youth group with her. Like, yeah, well, that's yeah. they're trying to be realistic. Um, mm -hmm. so, so I think that's where, um, the, you know, every movie is a fantasy. It's, it's somebody's fantasy. So, yeah. uh, but the, the uh, Hollywood is trying to imagine a world without religion, um, you know, and it, it gets, well, for one, it gets you bo some boring stories because uh, the, the central heart of the Christian, of the uh, human race is just <laughs> removed before the storytelling yeah. gets to start. Um, and, uh, but you also just don't have the freedom uh, for the artist who wants to tell stories well, uh, because there are certain things that you know, become off limits. Yeah. Well, okay. So I want to give uh, I want to ask one more question on this and then, but, but, the problem is what you just said is a really great segue to our next pastor reacts. As many of you will remember, we've done a couple of them now where we are looking at film Hollywood films that take on either biblical stories, biblical ideas. They show God, they show Jesus uh, with Jason, you and I, we did, we went through Bruce almighty last time you were with us and uh, just did, just did. Oh God. With, uh, with George Burns, with John speed, la uh, the last one that we produce here. And uh, today we're going to look at Prince of Egypt by DreamWorks came out in 1998. And, uh, so that'll have some historical accuracy too. But before we get there, uh, I want to ask you this and I don't know, maybe, and this might be a little bit of a rebel question to ask right now because we might be giving people ideas. How do you think we could make, Christian superhero movie because you, you realize the implications of that because you, you know, there's, you know, there is Jesus and he's not a superhero and he doesn't do his powers for superhero things, but we'd be kind of taking some of that and bending it around and, and making it could, could, could Christians come up with an actual superhero and make it work. And I realize I've had Bible man and God bless Willie Ames. I love Charles in charge. And, you know, that was fine. I'm sure God used it, did some good. But I mean, like an actual superhero yeah. that doesn't exist in DC or Marvel that comes from us, that can be allegory or parallel or, or what have you. Is that, can we do that well, and not be I, committing a, I, a theological faux pas? Well, I'm not guaranteeing that there are no theological faux pas, but we do already have Hellboy, who is a baptized Christian, who was raised in a Christian home. Um, he was the biological child of Satan, uh, and Hitler accidentally brought him through a portal, and uh, but a, a Christian ad adopted him and raised him in the faith. So mm -hmm. we do have Hellboy. <laughs> I've never, I've never seen Hellboy. I, oh, you I, uh, haven't. Oh. Gosh, no. You should watch that one. That one, no, it's the it's the only one where I know that the that the faith of 
the superhero is an important part of the story um, that he's struggling between his, the identity that he got from his adopted father who raised him as a Christian and his biological father who was Satan. <laughs> so um, it's a great, it's a great movie. Upon hearing that though, like, gee, do I want to follow Satan or anybody else? <laughs> To me, right. the answer is pretty simple, but then the movie would only be two minutes long. It's true. So. But at the same time, how often do we make that decision wrong? You know, how, do, how often do yeah. we think, oh, I, I could do what I know is a lie right here, or I could follow God. And they were like, not nah, going with the lie. <laughs> so you're right. You know, we, you're right. We do do that. But um, the so I, I um, now the in terms of theological accuracy, the. Um, you know that I don't think that Satan actually has a biological son or and that will bring in the apocalypse. You know, that's old. Um, that that's old. Uh, um, I think it's old Roman Catholic apocrypha stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, not the apocrypha of the Bible, the the uh medieval, the medieval apocrypha about the apocalypse type of mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, but it's it's a an attempt at a, um, at, at a Christian superhero. Now, <laughs> the other thing that Tolkien talks about is that we as sub creators, um, so he, he, the, the reason we have so much fantasy right now <laughs> is because of J.R.R. Tolkien, who was a very passionate Christian, um, who as a, said we as sub creators underneath God can create worlds in which we can work through what, and he says the, the when we're good at it, then the moral character, uh, the, uh, the ontological, the moral and uh, metaphysical characters, characteristics of the world stay the same, but there's all sorts of other things that we can change uh, to tell stories, to work through, different ideas and work through the, the discipleship of the imagination and um, using fantasy. And I do think that the superhero genre is a subcategory of fantasy in my mind. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's science fiction, but it's usually fantasy. And because of that, I, I do think that, um, you know, something like the Lord of the Rings uh, could be a good guide. If we took that and said, what would a superhero version of mm-hmm. this kind of storytelling uh, work out. And I think you just have to learn to, to think deeply about the themes and the, uh, the storytelling of Tolkien, uh, and C.S. Lewis in Narnia, the sort, and, and say, how, what would this same storytelling, how would we work that out in the superhero genre? Cause they were doing that with, um, fantasy uh, and, and fairy ta- fairyland, I guess, um, you might say, uh, trying to think deeply and say, how do we use that for Christian storytelling purposes? So I think that we should be doing that, trying to figure out how to do it. And if the first Christians that come along and do it and they do it, don't do a great job at it, we should still cheer them on and say, Hey, good try. Let's improve rather than sure. what we often do, which is, you know, uh, throw them into the dustbin of history and stomp on it (laughs) very well well speaking of good tries and let's improve now i remember 1998's prince of egypt by dreamworks as being not the worst representation of a biblical story that i had ever seen now at the time i'm only 18 years old and i really don't know a whole lot theologically and also again 
18 year old male brain. So, you know, take that with what you will, but, but um, we're going to look at that here. And so let me bring up uh, the first scene for you. We're going to check this out. Uh, these will be in no particular order though, just heads up, but I will try to go one at a time. If I can here, let me see. No, 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 not that one. Uh, let's see here. Parting. Let's see. I want to find. See, and now I had all these ordered. This is what happens. I had all these in order, in numerical order, and now they're out of numerical order. So when I go to look for the one I wanted for number one, I've got to go hover over each one to find the thing. There we go. All right. This is the beginning. Now, for those of you who don't know Prince of Egypt, it's a story of Moses. And uh, Jeff Goldblum's one of the voices in it, plays Moses' brother Aaron, I think, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're going to walk through. I'll try to do it as chronologically as possible here. But uh, we'll start out opening scene. Moses is going into the basket. Hush now, my baby. Be still now. Don't cry. Sleep as you're
So, so I forgot how good the music was in that movie, isn't it? Like, yeah, I, I really that's good. DreamWorks, in, and we're in the the dawning of the Pixar. Uh, from, right. from Disney, so it's not like Disney's sloughing him at that time. And I thought that was a really strong, strong showing from DreamWorks that seems to be a little bit underrated. Let's look at that just historically. As you, as we, well, as the story of Moses is portrayed in Scripture, where where are they right and where are they wrong here? Well, I I'm not sure if there's any place I can think of where they're necessarily wrong. Um, they're they, I think it is interesting the way um, <clears throat> water and crossing the waters and you know plays such a significant role throughout um, the the books of Genesis and Exodus and uh, and in Joshua and then you know in the New Testament with baptism you know that kind of theme of God's people become His people through water uh, over and over and you've got Moses. Uh, is he's being established into the position he needs to be through the waters, just the way Noah was, um, you know, and the way that then God's people will be later when the waters are parted for them and they go under, under and through the waters. So um, theologically, God uh, is a, as a storyteller, he likes to um, charge up particular objects and make them meaningful. And Mm -hmm. this is one of the places where I think he charges up water and makes it meaningful, where he establishes his uh, prophet into the place that it needs to be um, through the waters. And uh, then, you know, that's something that, uh, and I do also appreciate that it's such a, difficult trip through the waters that he doesn't just float calmly through the waters mm-hmm. and then he gets to where he goes, but it looks like he might not make it half the time. And then <laughs> he does. And it's the, the, the uh, almost getting run over by a boat that finally pushes him into the right spot. That sounds a lot like my life, you know, <laughs> God wants me over here. So he's going to make it feel like I'm drowning a kind of a Psalm 42. I'm under yeah. your waves and under your waterfalls, under your waters, Lord. Um, I'm drowning over here. He's like, well, yeah, that's how I'm making you thirsty like a deer for my word. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely a little, you know, there's a little bit of license there, obviously, but uh, you know, over uh, overall, not a bad way to get, uh, to get that started. Let's, uh, let's continue here. I want to, I hope this is the right clip. If it's not, I'll stop it early, but we'll, uh, let's check this one out. stone all I ever wanted this is my home with my father mother brother oh so noble oh so strong now I am home here among my trappings and belongings I belong and if anybody doubts it they couldn't be more of Egypt, a son of the proud history that's shown heads on every wall. Surely this is all I ever wanted. All I ever wanted. All I ever 
so they're showing they're showing Moses there as the prince of Egypt, which that's the other thing that now in my old age I appreciate about this is that it it did attempt to illustrate Moses had a life before he right. was called by God to lead the Israelites, and that is a part of what makes the story so incredible. And again, for people that are not don't know, you can really split up Moses's life into forties. He was, he was obviously put in the basket, sit down the river, picked up by Pharaoh's daughter, raises her own prince of Egypt. He gets mad, sees him killing a fellow Hebrew. He, he murders the Egyptian and then he goes on the run. He's on the lamb and hiding out in the wilderness. And that's where God calls him to then go back to Egypt and set his people free, so to speak. That was just a quick, just because for time, we don't, we can't look at the whole thing, but in terms of, the decadent life in Egypt and quote unquote Prince of Egypt and all that, though he wasn't quite Prince of Egypt, but uh, nonetheless, what do you think of the portrayal there of what Moses life would have been like uh, in, in Egypt prior to his self exile and then calling by God? Yeah. Well, one of the inaccuracies is the, he's about 18 when in, in the Bible, he's 40 and he's about 18 um, and his older brother is about 20 at the, this point in the story. And they are causing all sorts of the kind of havoc that teenagers cause and, and, uh, you know, <laughs> taking the, taking the car for a joyride um, type of thing. And, and that's what gets them. Uh, that's what gets him in trouble that in, then that's how he learns that he's not really truly a Prince of Egypt. Um, one that's not all in the Bible, but he's also 40 years old. Mm -hmm. And so he would have, um, so by the time that he, he uh, goes in exile, he's already married. Um, he, he's not, uh, he's not a teenager because they go back later to go get his wife. Um, Mm -hmm. his first wife, uh, who goes with him and gladly goes with him. So, um, he, if, uh, so that's an inaccuracy historically. And then he's 80 years old when he actually brings them through the red sea and, and all of yeah. that. Uh, so cause Zipporah, who he marries later is his second wife. Um, so he marries when he's out in the wilderness a second time. And then once they go through the red sea, then they, uh, rescue his first wife. So, that's an inaccuracy that, uh, but I understand why they made the change because it's hard for us to imagine and identify with an 80 year old, um, as the hero. <laughs> so as, especially then understanding that he's 120 when they finally get to the edge of the promised land, um, because we are, uh, we, we don't understand things and or we don't our imagination is too thin to imagine a 120 year old still leading them around <clears throat> so uh, that's an inaccuracy i do think that um the well that scripturally it just says he sees an egyptian um abusing a hebrew uh, mm-hmm. and and murders him and kills him so uh the and in the story if i remember right the, he kills him accidentally um mm-hmm. but it, it makes it clear that he kills him on purpose uh and it seems like in moses's mind that he that he thinks it's time to rescue his people and so maybe he always knew that he was a hebrew 
um, he it's it doesn't seem as if he was uh, unaware that he that he's somehow surprised. Um, he well, does why, have. Why would you have that kind of rage for that kind of injustice? I mean, I guess you could be. Well, I have a heart for the downtrodden, but it seems to be quite a quite a visceral reaction. One you would have for family for to family, yeah. to do that. And so, if that's the case. Biblically, I'm speaking of the biblical account. Yeah, he would have. He, I think it's safe to surmise from the available evidence that he knew who he knew where he came from. He knew where he came from, and he was raised by his own mom. If you remember mm-hmm. the, in the story, yeah, um, that they he was raised by his own mother, uh, <clears throat> uh, but that he still had access to the palace. So because he was he he was also a part of so he he was just a man in both worlds um and when when it's when he stopped being a man in both worlds is not exactly clear but it is clear that he um see well that that he attacks the egyptian thinking he's going to rescue his people and they reject him Mm-hmm. And he shows up to, and they say no. And then he goes off for 40 years into the wilderness and comes back. Um, the prophet that they need uh, he, and is able to, but, but with a stutter who, and then his brother speaks on his behalf. And th- those things um, are interesting. Those things are important for the Christological understanding when uh, of Moses as a type of Jesus in the old Testament. And so the, and some of those things get left out um, because that's not the thing that they focus on and you yeah. got to focus on something. Um, so they end up focusing on, uh, well, they, they keep him a little younger, a little more handsome. Um, you know, the, the older you get, the less, uh, the, the, the less, less attractive you, you are, <laughs> the less attractive you are on screen. So <laughs> um, well, let's, Go ahead. Uh, yeah. So, but, but the, uh, some of the Christological uh, aspects get left out because of that. Well, let's go ahead. We're going to look at uh, just a couple more scenes here and then we'll wrap up, but let's look at a couple of the highlights. Some of the stuff that a lot of people will know, or at least have vaguely heard about. Here's where they, they illustrate the 10 plagues or the, the plagues. I should say. Yes. 
Some of the plagues yeah. there, seen in seen in made make, made for a nice little musical number. Um, I bet my bet Moses wasn't dreaming of that at that time. Uh, your your thoughts on that account? Obviously, there's a lot they left out in the, in how yeah. the plagues actually happened. But go ahead, right? And they and you know this is sort of the what you might call the fun and games part of the movie where they have to move through time fairly quickly and and build the tension and show. Um, why it is that things come to the, the the black moment at the end, but um, what they leave out that is the religious aspects of the plague, because there were 10 gods in Egypt that uh, each had a different role. And each of those gods gets one of the plagues with the last God being the, the Pharaoh himself, who was supposed to be the incarnation of a God, his son being killed is the, the 10th God uh, in the pantheon to, to receive a plague. Um, And that's the one that finally gets them to let the people go. Um, And so they, they turn it almost, I mean, and the story can, has this, undertone of kind of the human freedom the the human freedom is good and and the uh, slavery is bad and uh, which is true that's all scriptural um but it's not the 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 freedom goes deeper than that in the exodus story um the the because the story starts with this is you know after joseph had had a significant uh, effect on the the entire nation of egypt by telling them about the creator god who they can come to and find forgiveness and uh, there's, I think, a good argument that a lot of the Egyptians had gotten saved and became a part, you know, had had gone through circumcision and you know all of that to in order to become a part of the uh, people, but then they forgot, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that a few generations later they had forgotten, or 230 years or something, <coughs> they had forgotten that uh, they had converted. Um, their grandkids, their great grandkids no longer were serving um, the, the creator. And so they had gone back to the Pantheon. And so the creator shows up and says, I'm going to crush the Pantheon and take my people away uh, because you have turned away from me. So uh, I think that's what that, that religious aspect is missing and they turn it into kind of a, um, a, a, a human freedom story um a political freedom story maybe we, we would even say uh, rather than a a uh, freedom of a religious spiritual freedom from sin and guilt and condemnation that results in the the external freedoms the internal freedoms that lead to the external freedoms uh, although it takes a generation as well because <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, the, the first generation uh, did not make it to the promised land. Um, neither did Moses. They all died. It was the second generation. Joshua and Caleb got there. That's a spoiler alert, in case you're wondering. Uh, the, but I would say this. That is an interesting parallel to the way the Jews were in Jesus' day, expecting 
freedom from Roman occupation, expecting political freedom, a human freedom, not realizing the spiritual freedom that uh, underpins the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the, you know, that's the conservative movement in our day. We forget um, that uh, getting political freedom uh, in order to um, run out our spiritual bondage actually isn't a blessing. Um, we need the spiritual freedom to undergird and to, to precede the uh, political freedom that we should want as well. Um, but uh, it, it's not the, it's not the end in and of itself. It's the, uh, the end is the spiritual freedom and the, the uh, political freedom is a bonus that flows from it. All right. Well, Jason, you've given a little extra time here. Let's do, let's wrap this movie up. I got two quick uh, elements, two quick scenes to wrap up the story and we'll wrap up the show. Thanks for a little bit of extra time today. Let's move ahead. This is of course the parting of the Red Sea. Right across. Go ahead. Right. 
And I mean, I love that they just went straight supernatural, the power of God, the quote from the Bible, all of those things are fantastic. Um, and also Aaron going first makes sense because he's the he's not he hasn't been ordained the high priest yet, but he's the uh, going to be the high priest. And so that uh, is a is a great story choice um, to for him to be the one that says, hey, I'll lead the way because he's. Uh, towards God because that's what he does with the rest of his life. Uh, so, yeah. and then uh, the mixture of Hebrews and Egyptians, um, you know, that, that uh, come out the other side, all one people um, is another, I think, important part of what's going on in Exodus um, is the, because it, uh, uh, there's a lot of Egyptians that did go with the Hebrews that said, Oh, well, we want that God for our God. We're coming with you. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there's a lot really good in that scene. Um, and I know technologically that was a major step forward, uh, with the waves and the animation, the waves in the animation, and then, um, the water and all of that's really hard to animate. And they made a, a big technological leap forward by, uh, with that scene. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing scene. All right. Well, we are just about out of time here. So let's get your evaluation of the Prince of Egypt. Uh, let's first start with theological accuracy. We'll go one to 10. Where do you fall on the scale? One being no good, 10 being that was basically word for word from, uh, well, I guess a combination of Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, I, I, it's it's somewhere in that seven and a half to eight range. Hmm, okay. uh, they they do a really good job. I mean, I I haven't watched it for about ten years, but I I watched it with my kids um, when they were younger, and and I remember thinking as I was a little bit older, thinking, "Wow, they got so much of this story right." Yeah, surprisingly right versus um, you know the new Noah, where you think. Oh. Well, who, where where did you get this idea? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what they didn't, what I like about this movie is that they didn't do a whole lot to try to, quote unquote, improve the story. That's what I think right. Noah did. It was they tried to make this whole new drama and action thriller. And actually, it's pretty incredible the way the way it was. Tell that story. But not even because, not even yeah. because I'm a Christian and that's the truth, but that's actually, the Bible story is a better story, just objectively. Right better than rock people falling out of the sky. I mean, you know, but anyway, that's a whole nother movie, which we will cover <laughs> on a future episode of Pastor Reacts, but it's not today. Go yeah. Ahead. The, um, and, and I remember they came back and tried to do Joseph King of dreams next and had a harder time, um, stick being accurate because I think there's less information. It was uh, for that one. Uh, but, uh, the, the big, the, the big places where they don't, um, quite get it uh are the the places where we read back into it what we're concerned about in mm. back to the exodus story um whereas the idolatry was the major that we're told that the reason that the slavery was bad and getting worse was the idolatry of the people mm. um and not just the no, not just that uh you had a slave master who just liked having slaves and you know, uh, that, that there was actually a, 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 because the God's people began to worship other gods, the slavery, they, they became slaves. The slavery was getting worse and worse. Um, and so the, that's the thing that I think gets left out that keeps it from 
you know, um, you know, an eight and a half or a nine is that uh, um, the it. You, it wasn't a case of the good guys getting saved from the bad guys. Uh, it was a case of the the God's people falling into idolatry, and so they ended up slaves. Uh, and then God came and rescued them first from their slavery so that he could take them into the wilderness and teach them how to worship, which is what Moses says when he gets there. God wants me to take them out and teach and re- remind them how to worship properly. Um, and and uh he says, no. And he says, well, that is happening. That's what's going to happen. Um, so you can happen willingly or not. But had they learned how to worship properly, they would have made it out of slavery. And I think maybe been able to convert the Egyptians and return to the to yeah. their uh, promised land without all of the destruction. But um, resisting the Lord always ends up in the you know, try hold, hold, trying to hold something back from God always ends up in broken fingers. So it is the humorous image as a parent thinking of God calling Moses, go let my set my people free, and him saying no five times, which is what he did, and God effectively saying in God speak the way we would say, okay. I'm not really asking you to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm asking you as a courtesy, but I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> You're right. You're good. Why would you so. please? I meant thou shalt. <laughs> yeah. So just, you know, just in case you're wondering. All right. How about, <laughs> how about historical accuracy? Same scale, one to 10? Uh, well, the, the time they they get the they shorten up the timeline, which mm-hmm. I think is a, is a problem. Uh, I I also think that it was a different pharaoh than the one that they choose um, yes. Ramesses. So uh, the, because the the they put so they put it in a different era of Egyptian history than I think the Bible does. Um, so I think that that's a problem. And then I think they um, they leave out the uh the uh, uh the h- how sig- how religious um everybody would have been and they it's they and i i think that's a historical inaccuracy um they secularize the people groups um a lot on both sides you know everybody yet yeah. ends up much more secular and uh you know the, um i remember watching a movie not too long ago um, with that they tried to be more accurate about the Egyptian religions of the ancient world. And it was, in, it was almost impossible to connect with any of the characters after watching it. And so I understand why they do that. You can't get too far away from people's experience if they're going to connect. Um, but people, we living in a secular, a secularized age or an attempted, attempted a secularized age. Um, our, religious convictions uh we call them something else and so they get invisible to us and so it's hard to imagine how religious um they would have been in egypt and uh, in the ancient world so uh that's another historical inaccuracy that i remember watching it thinking there's where where are all the temples and the animal sacrifices and all the things that would be a regular part of life Um, they leave that out because you know we um we, we, well, if we, we, if we would call our out. own, if we would, yeah, well, if we would call our <laughs> own cultural morality religion, which it is, then we would realize how religious we are today right. as a culture. And then 
then there would be that parallel. You'd be able to do it. But because we don't call it religion, and as you said, it becomes invisible to us, we think that we're somehow actually like truly secular, as in all religious. Right. But that's not the case. All right. Yeah. Uh, last question. How about entertainment value? One to ten. Oh, I that this is the music from it is still on some of the playlists that my family um, listens to regularly. The music's really great. They use some really great sort of uh, uh, the, the operatic chorus in the music mm-hmm. really well. And I, I can't think of another movie that does that. Um, and so I love that aspect of it. The animation's incredible um, as well. And so I think that, and then um, the acting's good and the storytelling's good. And, you know, it's a moving story the way they tell it, even with the thing they leave out, you end up with an incredibly moving story um, that uses some really good uh, that you, and you walk away with, I think some really great characters and images and, all sorts of things. So I think it's an incredibly entertaining uh, movie. Well, there you have it straight from Mr. Jason Farley, (laughs) lower executive uh, Prince of Egypt. If you haven't seen it, it's worth dusting off the, uh, you know, going into the archives and checking it out or renting it on Amazon or what have you a fairly good for Hollywood and what they are a fairly good biblical story coming out of Hollywood. Not saying again, maybe not necessarily Sunday school fodder, but a, uh, a, a good telling nonetheless. Jason, hey, thanks for the time today. Um, really appreciate your extra time here on this episode. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. For Jason Farley, I'm Andrew Southwick. This has been the Lore Entertainment Podcast. Thank you for watching. Remember, what do you think about Prince of Egypt? Leave your, leave your comments in the comment section. Are there other movies you want us to cover? Let us know there too. And we will see you next time.